0: Putman Restoration specializes in commercial disaster services, including water damage, fire, smoke, mold, and storm. Their goal and desire is to get your properties up and running as soon as possible after disaster strikes. Hospitals, schools, hotels, and large municipal buildings, malls, churches, and large commercial properties are their specialty. Managed properties nationwide? No problem. Putman Restoration services their clients nationwide. They are strategically partnered with elite restoration companies throughout the U.S. and Canada, giving their clients resources during disasters where normal companies would be tapped out. Trust the professionals at Putman Restoration when disaster strikes. Visit them online at www.putmanrestoration.com or give them a call at 318-453-5029. Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis, and this is episode 81. And we have Laura Connell with us um, to talk about some family issues and trauma. And she's a coach and does an amazing job on Instagram uh, helping us understand some of those dynamics. So we're gonna talk about that today. Uh, Listeners are pretty used to us having these conversations. So we hope that um, by the end of it, that you can you know gain some insight into your own self um gain some empathy for maybe your parents or the people that um have caused you some pain in your life and be able to start to take some uh, empowering steps to um, set boundaries and 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 have openness and communication and heal so that's that's the goal so welcome uh laura and thanks for so much for coming on
1: thanks for having me i'm really excited to talk to you clint
0: yeah well tell me a little bit about kind of who you are and what you do
1: Sure. So I'm a trauma-informed author and coach. And as a matter of fact, I'm submitting the manuscript on my first book at the end of this week, which is going to be published in September.
0: Okay. What's that called? called
1: It's not your fault, Ah. aptly named. And it's all about how our childhood unmet needs can really take a toll on us as adults. And the things that look like self-sabotage are actually unhealthy coping mechanisms or self-protection in disguise. And those are exactly the same things that I coach on. Um, so mainly dysfunctional family dynamics and even more specifically, my clients tend to have the narcissistic mother wound. Mm -hmm. So those are the things I write and teach and coach on.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. It's super needed. It's, it's, um, the more, the merrier, you know, we have this interesting dynamic of therapy and coaching and, and pastoral counseling and all these resources that we have. And, um, I, I for me, it's, I've always had the stance of like, the more, the merrier, you know, the more people who can be having different angles and different conversations and giving people different resources, uh, definitely needed. So what got you into kind of this, this field and, and the idea of doing trauma coaching and writing and all that. Yeah.
1: So I've been a writer my whole uh, non-fiction, on the personal side, um, articles and, you know, on every type of platform, both print and online. Uh, and I, this is my first book, like I said. But what got me into the trauma-informed aspect of it is I was raised in a very dysfunctional home and there was a lot of emotional abuse and neglect. There was some mental illness on my mother's side And so these things had always impacted me, but I wasn't really aware to the extent of it. So as an adult, I had been sabotaging myself quite badly in all areas of my life. I don't think I'd ever had a healthy relationship. I was working far below my capacity or capabilities at work. I just was struggling in every area and there really wasn't any joy in my life whatsoever. Mm. And I just started to become curious about that. And there was a lot that led up to that, but I think it culminated in my divorce. So when I divorced out of sort of two dysfunctional family systems, his family of origin and mine, I kind of got the breathing space I needed to sort of look at myself and why I was doing what I was doing. And this, by the way, included an alcohol addiction mm. to cope with all the stuff that was going on with me.
0: That was for and you. So, so you were coping with alcohol.
1: Yeah, was that a was. Family,
0: was that in your family history as well?
1: It was. Yeah. My mother definitely struggled with alcohol. And like I said, I did too. And getting out of that marriage, uh, very quickly, I recovered from the alcohol addiction. And that's been 12 years now that wow. I haven't had to cope with that. Congratulations. Thankfully. That's awesome. Thank you very much. It's hard work. And it really is. And I'll say that because I know you have a Christian audience. It was in that recovery program that I did learn how to lean on God. Mm -hmm. And that has been the um, kind of the defining aspect of that recovery journey is finding that faith in God and that ability to lean on him.
0: Yeah. So is your um, background Christian or what What kind of is your religious No, background? I grew up
1: in an atheist home. Okay. I grew up in an atheist home. Um, I grew up in a part of, you know, country and a part of the country that is really not very Christian, has become actually quite hostile to Christianity. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't a lot of opportunity for me to even learn about Christianity. Of course, there's churches and things like that. <laughs> yeah. But I wasn't really exposed to them, you know, and I had not even read a Bible until my late thirties. I'd never opened a Bible really, except maybe at a hotel. I would open the drawer and I kind of be like, "Oh, what's this?" And I yeah. sort of open. The they Holy got rid Holy of West all school. those now, right? <laughs> right, scene. I know. And so, because the recovery program was so focused on your higher power mm-hmm. and God, if you call it that. Um, that was just kind of the way for me to enter into that. And I think after that, getting into it, God really was able to reach me quite easily after that, after getting rid of the alcohol and all those other barriers to him. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's a beautiful testimony. So you would call yourself a Christ follower now or what's, what's, what's yeah. kind of, okay. Awesome. That's good. Yeah, cool. Is absolutely. that part of your book or did you leave that kind of. No,
1: I write for, well, God is in the book. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mentioned God in the book. Um, we'll see what the publisher does with that because it's for the general market, right? Uh, and my coaching is for the general market, but I have had Christian clients as well. So it's, it's open in that way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of how we've tried to set it. You know, we have, um, we have biblical counselors, so we do have very, very, uh, intentional people are saying, Hey, if you're coming here and you don't want secular psychology and you don't want secular coaching, you want somebody to walk you through kind of biblical teachings. We have people for that, but then the rest of us are what we call Christians who counsel. So we, if it's a Christian client, we'll go with their faith. We'll, we'll talk through those things. But yeah, we see, you know, anybody and everybody, and we, we, we try to deal with their spiritual beliefs. And I always say, we try to make those things congruent. So I want their beliefs to, you know, and their actions to kind of to match up and just trying to make them congruent and healthy based on what they believe. Um, so it's an interesting journey being in the, in the uh, 12 step world and working through sex addiction and working through porn addiction and alcoholism and, you know, all those things mm-hmm. where you, 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 know, when you're doing the 12 steps, it's, it's such a, I mean, obviously it was founded by some pretty Christian principles. Now there's a lot of ways now that, you know, they don't use it that way and God can be your higher power in all kinds of ways. And, but it is very cool to see, um, how God can meet people in those moments um, of darkness and soul searching. And, and he shows up and we think it's all the work that we have to do. And yet he's so gracious and good and kind. He just kind of shows up and rescues us out of the situation. And years later, we're writing books and, and helping other people. So what a what a beautiful testimony. Thank you for sharing that.
1: Yeah, you're very welcome. And it's interesting that so often the work is to stop doing the work. The work is to just like kind of surrender, you know, and that can be actually harder than it sounds.
0: Oh man, isn't it? Isn't it harder than it sounds? I think that that's the work I've been doing the last few years in therapy is just realizing, you know, how much more humility I have to find and how much more of letting go I have to do and how much more of, you know, I'm a pretty relaxed person and, you know, I'm not kind of anal or controlling. And so I thought I was always pretty chill when it came to stuff, but you know, the healthier you get, the more aware you are of all the little ways in which you think you're in charge and you, you think, you know, you think, mm-hmm. you know, whatever kind of stupid thing that you think that you've learned to cope. Um, back to your book. So I loved, I love that phrase. And, and we talk about it a lot on the podcast of that these coping mechanisms and these behaviors that we've shamed so much out of people or into people are survival, survival tools. Um, so can you speak a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So as children, when we get the idea that we're kind of on our own, so the people who are supposed to care for us aren't really meeting our needs in the way that we need. um, And that can be confusing, too, because I think even the term trauma can be kind of, uh, what's the word, fired up or It can make people think well i didn't have it that bad i wasn't traumatized so sometimes i'll use the term unmet needs Mm -hmm. because um these can just be a feeling that maybe if you were sad nobody was there to comfort you or you didn't have anyone help you manage your emotions or there was some emotional neglect going on so it doesn't have to be something that seems totally traumatic on the outside but you just get the idea that you don't have the support you need So to protect yourself, you're really going to minimize your needs. And you're going to, instead of looking and tuning into yourself, you're going to start tuning into other people to find out what they need. So you're looking to your parents to try and make them happy because you're so dependent on them as a child. You really do need to keep your parents happy because you don't want to be rejected. You don't want to be abandoned. Because as a child, that can literally mean death. Yeah,
0: yeah, (laughs) literally kill you, yes.
1: Yeah, and even if you don't know that consciously as a child, it is a subconscious belief. So to keep yourself alive, you're looking at your parents, how do I keep them happy? What can I do to make them love me? And so your whole focus becomes exterior. And so you rewire your brain to actually work against you. So you you take on what can be called a survival brain Mm -hmm. and this is a brain that what it sounds like is in survival mode so instead of like a normal healthy child you're kind of looking at the world as a place to explore a place to figure out what are my gifts how do i share them with the world like what's fun what am i good at all those kind of great things that life has to offer instead you're just looking out for threats and you're thinking how do i stay safe in this moment So you're not really good at thinking long term and setting goals because you can't think that far ahead. You're just trying to keep yourself alive in Mm -hmm. this moment. So that's a big example of how our unmet childhood needs really impact us as adults. It just takes all the joy out of life and it makes you sabotage yourself because you're not setting the goals or meeting them in a way that's going to help you thrive as an adult.
0: Absolutely, I think uh, I loved what you was writing. Taking some notes while you're talking, I love the um, the fo- you know the focus becomes on the exterior instead of the interior, and that's so true with so many clients. You know, it 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 gets into the behavior modification and the how do I how do I change what I'm doing? How do I get in a different group? How do I look different? How do I talk different? How do everything is your locus of control is out here. And, you know, that's how you learn to survive is controlling your environment, controlling people um, and your ability to look in inside and actually kind of deal with what we would call it right in with adult clients, inner child work. It's like you're Mm -hmm. a child. So there is you know, there is no inner child, really. I mean, it's just you. Um, But that person never gets tended to because that thing in all you know purposes, everyone's communicating to you already. I'm not going to meet that need or you shouldn't have a need or your, your literal job is to meet my need. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I was talking with a client literally just this morning and it was, we we're talking about addiction and, and, you know, all the shame he feels around his behavior and, and the, the why's from his spouse and, and, you know, the why's from friends and the why's he has for herself. And so we kind of went this morning. I was like, okay, well you tell me why, you know, at some point it's like, you know, the answer Stop, you know, and so he went through his childhood, and it was all this stuff. It's all this unmet unmet need. And, yes, you're responsible for it, right? You're still responsible as an adult to, um, to deal with the behaviors. But the root cause isn't your fault. And so I love that that's the title of the book, like, It's Not Your Fault, because I think shame is the killer of all things, right? And from a Christian perspective, shame would say um, – you're not worthy of forgiveness. You're not worthy of grace, which is the spiritual voice of Satan saying, you're bad, you're cursed, you've gone astray, there's no way God can love you, which is what he told Adam and Eve in the garden. You know, you are you sure God loves you? Are you sure that you can't eat this? Are you sure that this isn't what's best for you? And so when parents plant that seed early on, intentionally or unintentionally, man, it wreaks havoc for the rest of our life until somebody comes along and says, hey, you know that's not your fault. Mm-hmm. I love the. I love that. That's what you named it.
1: Thank you. Yes. And shame is something that I touch on in the book as well. And the way it makes you go underground and it just totally isolates you. Oh, yeah. So instead of dealing with your problem, now you're you're just coping with the shame about the problem, which really makes it hard to get help. Right. Mm-hmm. And with the alcohol addiction, I definitely Um, moved from being sort of more curious about why I was drinking when I was younger to moving into shame over it and going underground with it. Because now if I say that I feel like I might have a problem, somebody might try to take it away from me Mm -hmm. and I don't believe I can cope without it.
0: Yeah. Well, and you can't, because you literally have no, no coping skills to replace it yet. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's the tension. It's like, okay, so I recognize that I have this behavior, this thing. And listeners, if you're listening, I mean, take one of your behaviors. One of the things that you feel ashamed about doing that maybe everybody knows about, or nobody knows about, and just apply it to this kind of train of thought. So you have this behavior that, that you're doing and you feel lots of shame about it. So you isolate and the answer will be, nobody will know about this behavior and what? It'll go away. When in reality, Everybody feels that way. Everybody has a struggle or an issue. Um, and when we share those things with one another, with safe people, the response is gonna be, well, me too. Or, well, let's figure out why this happened or why this is going on. Not, how could you, or I would never do that. or any- And now people do say those things, but those are unhealth- unhealthy, toxic people.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's what happens in dysfunctional families a lot. Instead of compassion and empathy, people receive what you just described, which is the shaming or the what's wrong with you. Mm -hmm. That's a big one too, the sense of what's wrong with you. And a lot of families will use you as a scapegoat if you have an addiction or some other issue that you're struggling with, which is often a response to the dysfunction in the family, right? Right, right. right. But they'll use that um, to kind of make you the problem. So then the family doesn't have to face What is the core problem, which could be generational, it could be very deep-seated, but if they can point at you and say you're the problem, if it weren't for you, this family would be 100% fine. That's quite convenient for them. (laughs) Yeah,
0: especially since I usually, like you said, created the problem. I mean, what a toxic mess, you know? It's like, so we've parented you this way because we don't know any better and we're blind to our, you know, to what's going on. And our our locus of control is external too, right? So it's a generational thing. They only know how to get their needs met by external things, uh, you know, primarily by being a parent. And so it's like Mm -hmm. who you are as a child is now my identity. And so whether you do good or bad, it's going to, you know, change how I feel about myself. And now you as a child grow up learning these coping mechanisms and skills to survive. And then your family blames you for having those coping skills and mechanisms that they gave you by the dysfunction of the cycle. I mean, (laughs) I mean, no wonder we feel like crap, you know, like no wonder (laughs) as children, when we grow up, we know, but that's the crazy thing is we know internally. And I feel like from a, from a theological perspective, God gives us this, like this intrinsic value because we're his children And, and we, we constantly feel this either conscious or unconscious tension of there's more, this is, there's more connection, there's more love, there's more affection, there's more attention that I need, that I deserve, right? That I've create been created to receive and I'm longing for that. Mm -hmm. And yet we end up getting it from all these unhealthy, toxic options because the two primary caregivers in our lives aren't giving us the thing God instructed them to do, so to speak.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And that's the thing i don't know if this is going to touch on what you're saying or if it answered your question but when i became a christian and i started getting exposed to christians and christianity the thing that i noticed that i found there that was lacking in my atheist upbringing was vulnerability Mm. and there was a sense that you could be vulnerable and you could be open about your weakness and I mean, obviously, I'm not speaking for all the atheists or all the Christians. There's a whole spectrum of people on both sides. Yes. But that was my experience. I was kind of amazed at how people would be willing to talk about their weaknesses. I had really been raised in an environment where you hid those Mm -hmm. and you pretended you didn't have any. And I wonder what the relationship is, like why that is. Um, Is it just because you know there's something bigger than you, you don't have to rely on yourself? It, yeah that was the big thing I noticed,
0: yeah, definitely. I think, well, then you were in a healthy biblical environment, right? That's the other thing. Like you said, it's it's across the spectrum because I would say I, I've known just as many atheist Christians who that modality of your worth and value is tied into protecting yourself and staying safe is equal, you know, um, which is the opposite of the gospel, right? I mean, the gospel message is, just for people listening, maybe you don't know, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm surprised by how many people I meet with that are Christians, that go to church, that claim Christ, that when I ask them to tell me what the gospel message is or what God thinks about them, they answer it much like an atheist. He's probably disappointed. Mm -hmm. He's probably angry. He's probably thinks I should do better, you know, whatever. And the reality is the gospel says there's nothing we can do to earn God's love and there's nothing we can do to lose it. And Mm so boasting in our weaknesses should be a sign of spiritual maturity, because we believe that when we confess our sins and we're honest, healing is found there. And we're, we're looking at, at what God's response to us is going to be, not other Christians. And I think where things get really twisted up is that we've learned from our childhood, right? Like you said, sorry, I'm externalizing right now, but we've learned from our childhood that uh, our external is what gives us validation. And so we project that onto God like, like a parent right? And we hear he's our father and, and all we have is the perspective of these earthly broken people. And so we just cannot experience the concept of grace in the way until, until we get in a real community where the Holy Spirit's moving and people are actually loving, which is what scripture says. You'll, you'll know them by the way they love one another, right? Not by the way they do service, not by the way they do communion, not by the way they behave or they don't drink or whatever the thing behavior is. You'll know them by the way they love. And, uh, and so I think that's a beautiful connection you just made on, on what that is and why that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, vulnerability yeah, is true difference for me. Yeah, well, I mean, and then the opposite's true. The reason why people run from church is the lack of vulnerability. You know, people show up and they're like, you know, come at, you know, they're singing, "Come as you are," and everybody's pretending like they have no problems. <laughs>
1: yeah I can't I don't think I could tolerate a church like that (laughs) I wouldn't stay long (laughs) no
0: right but that's the problem is you've got hordes of people who are that's the only thing they know and they haven't they haven't had that cognitive dissonance yet to to go oh man wait a second this stuff doesn't add up you know it's I talk about it all the time it's like we're we're standing in church on a Sunday morning singing um you know with arms high and heart abandoned and everybody's got you know standing with their arms by their side drinking Starbucks it's like wait a second, out of my mouth I'm singing that my hands are up and I'm lifted high in praise. I'm literally singing that while standing with my arms by my side, you know, with a look on my face like I'd rather be somewhere else. And again, it's not hating on people. I've been there. I've been that person who was confused and didn't really get the connection. But, you know, that's not not what's going to draw people to Jesus. You know, it's going to be the people who, like you said, who you're an addict or you're struggling with depression and you come in and, and they're they accept you and they're warm and vulnerable and they're like me too we're in this together and look, let's be just celebrate how amazing god is that he puts up with our nonsense
1: mm-hmm. and i think too that's the benefit for me of being someone who came into the church In my late thirties, literally. I mean, I went a little bit when I was a child just because they sent a bus through, the Baptist church sent a bus through the poor neighborhoods and I would just jump on the bus and go to church for the morning. Um, but other than that, I hadn't really been to church till I was in my late thirties. And so I don't think I knew how I was supposed to act. Right. I think I thought I, this is the place I come where I can just let it all out, you know? Yeah, yeah, and so amazing. that's what I did. And it attracted the right people to me, I guess. So ignorance can actually be bliss. <laughs> yeah,
0: it can for sure. I mean, a lot of predispositions are really good. I mean, I tell people all the time, the hardest people to reach are Christians, you know? I mean, people who have been in church their whole life doing the same thing showing up and they, they think this is the thing. And I, and we have a huge, I mean, that's, it's a whole nother podcast, but that's a huge problem that we have in society and in American Christianity today is, you know, we all have this longing for more, more connection, more community, more intimacy, but sometimes the routes in which we've been taught is the way we get it. We just keep kind of staying in this insane cycle of showing up, doing the same thing over and over again. And, and, expecting at some point there's going to be all those things and so we'll just hope and we'll keep showing up and we'll keep doing the same thing over and over again but it's people like you who haven't been in church their whole life and who, who have have this totally secular you know background that that come in and go oh i'm just doing what the holy spirit's calling me to do and drawing me to and isn't playing the game and and that's you know they're not, neither one or better it's just you know a, a beautiful way of of seeing the world
1: Mm-hmm. Which is why I think yeah. you offer
0: such amazing insight into so many of these things you know your talk mm-hmm. your, your posts and stuff aren't explicitly Christian, but I feel the I feel the health and the and the the background and the backing of it as a believer I can you know I'm like this all aligns with what I believe and how we work so it's been awesome to see
1: great I'm really and excited yeah, about your I'll- book. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. All I want to do is tell the truth and be authentic. That's my commitment. And Mm. to be willing to go into the dark places because people who have been through stuff, they need someone who's not afraid to go into the dark with them. And my posts are often not solution oriented. And sometimes I'll get a couple of comments like, well, what's the solution? And I often do put the solution in my longer blog post and I'll kind of link to it. But in the post, the point is really not to give a solution. It's to tell you that you're not alone Mm -hmm. and that I hear you and I see you and I am you. And let's just kind of be here in the dark together. And I think the magic of like coaching and therapy is that's where you can find the solutions. And not because you're giving advice, Mm -hmm. but because you're being a witness. And often, especially in coaching, it's the person who is being coached who is providing their own solution and it's just by having someone else kind of hold the mirror up to them so they can see themselves better that they get that solution. So it's not something I can really provide in a blog post always or in a post on Instagram, especially. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm with you, but you do a great, I mean, I think you do a great job in the same vein. I mean, I share your stuff and, and you know, I think the goal for us when we post is to put things that are going to spark um, conversation and direction and, and a stirring in people to go, then go deeper, you know, with another person because information isn't always transformation. You know, information's great, but I can tell you till I'm blue in the face, the information about trauma. And at some point until you experience grace and love and mercy and attachment in a healthy way, there's no repair, which I think is the other beautiful thing about why people don't understand. Oh, well, you know, just going to go talk about my problems. That doesn't make any sense. And it's like, well, that's not really what you're doing. You know, you are talking about your problems, but if you think that you're going to do that, like you do with a coworker or a friend or a parent who's unhealthy and has their own biases and, you know, getting to do it in a safe space where you can regulate yourself um, is super important. Mm -hmm. How much work do you do with kind of um, somatic stuff or, or attachment or regulation or any of that?
1: yeah for me it's mostly about talking it's more like insight therapy Mm -hmm. it's kind of just sort of finding out the roots of this why we do what we do um there is some inner child work but i don't tend to do the real somatic like i don't take people through meditations and things like that which are some of the things that i've had done to me in coaching and which i think are great But that's not really my specialty. I think my specialty is really mostly listening. Mm. It's like really active listening. And there is a kind of magic that happens in the sessions I have with my clients that it's kind of hard to describe. But I know they definitely have aha moments. Mm. And it's just from me kind of showing them to themselves and asking questions Yeah, and I don't give them the answers. They provide the answers. And that's what I love.
0: That's good. You know, it just sparked in my mind. I'm like, you know, cause we have these conversations here. I mean, we have social workers, counselors, biblical counselors, chiropractors, you know, marriage and family therapists and coaches and everybody does a little bit of different things. And I'm the type of person who I want to do the right thing. You know what I mean? Like, I want to have all the skills, all the knowledge, all the certification. So whoever shows up in my office gets whatever it is they need, um, which is an impossible task, as you know. And so I think it's really awesome in the body of Christ when everybody gets to be a little different and that we have to, again, submit and uh, give up that idea that we're in charge and realize, like, if we're in tune with the Spirit, if we're doing what God's called us to do based on our story, then he's going to send us the people who need whatever it is that they need and so people are going to come to you because god has aligned them whether they know it or not whether they believe in him or not in who you have and the power that you have in your life and your story and he'll do that with me and he'll do that with people who do somatic breathing and he'll do that with people who do equine therapy and um i think that's i mean that's such a A reminder for me to to chill sometimes on the needing to be all things to all people because I feel like sometimes I can get I just want people to get healthy and that's why we have such an amazing staff is that you know I know I can't do it all and so everybody's personalities and differences come into effect and somebody would you know I would drive somebody crazy opposed to you know one of our other therapists or you and some people would you know pick and choose and so it's amazing that you're out there doing what you're doing.
1: Yeah, and so much of therapy and coaching is the interpersonal connection you know it's less of the um the actual modality that you're Uh, using and it can be you know how much of a fit is it and i think to what you said how you get the right people coming to you whether it's by divine intervention or what it is so many people that come to me it's like me you know this story is my story that mother is my mother yeah this is insane the similarities it's really uncanny
0: yeah it definitely is i mean there's some you know and i think that's just the truth of everything is that when we get out of the way and we just we're in the human being part instead of the human doing part and we're just being then we're a lot more similar than we ever let on you know and Mm -hmm. we all i mean I was telling that same client this morning, we were painting his picture as a male and what he went through and the lack of attachment and attunement and exposure to pornography and all these things. And I said, man, up until 12, I would say your story is about 90% of males in America's story. You know, and that's just the reality is that so many of us have been neglected emotionally and it's cycle after cycle and generation after generation. And yet we feel so uniquely broken and so isolated and so alone and like we're the only people and it's just not true Mm -hmm. at all and that doesn't justify it and say oh we'll go be unhealthy because you had trauma but at the same time that that thing that kills you is the thing that you feel like so much shame over being the only one and it's just not you're just not
1: that is so true and then as soon as you have the courage to open up about it you find out quickly who your people are and you find out quickly just how many people do share the things that you thought you were the only one. Yep, It's amazing.
0: Um, what, what would you say or some, uh, you know, in your coaching, what are some of the things that um, are kind of the primary issues that you, you see people struggling with in our society today?
1: Yeah. The thing that really I notice the most when people come to me is that focus almost obsessively on the people who are hurting you. So there's kind of this um, outrage at people, and usually in the family, always in the family, who have been harming you your whole life, doing the same things to you your whole life. But there is almost this unwillingness to accept that that's not going to change you know, or to at least accept, I don't want to say it can't change, but to accept that you're not going to change it, (laughs) you know, and that's the work. The first part of our work is usually turning that focus off of those people and onto yourself, because it's really crazy how we can look to these people who we have been doing the same things. And my clients are usually over 40. So they may have been doing the same things for 40 or even 50 years. And yet we are still looking to them to understand us, to validate us, to uh, give us what we need. And it keeps them in this cycle of total frustration of um, never getting their needs met and not learning how to meet their needs themselves. Mm. So that's the huge, huge, um, just common thing that I see. Usually the first session is, the client is just talking about their family members and just this really um, disempowering sense of, why are they doing this to me? And I think we need to get away from the question of why are they doing this? And we have to accept their limitations And that doesn't make it right. And we can't condone it, but you have to move on in your life. And to do that, you do have to release people. And that doesn't mean not talking to them or not forgiving them or anything. It just means stopping the hope that they're going to be different.
0: Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. I think the, uh, there's a, you know, to your book, like there's a, there's a moment where people need to realize, and finally be validated that it isn't their fault that these things weren't supposed to happen. And that actually here are the things you were supposed to receive. But then, yeah, after that season, there has to be a movement from the victim seat into, well, I'm the one answering the phone when my dad or mom calls, you know, like how many times has somebody answered and be like, well, I shouldn't have answered it. And it's like, okay, we got to do some work around why you answered the phone. Then your body told Mm -hmm. you, your mind told you, your heart told you not to, and yet you picked it up in the middle of this thing that you knew what you were going to get. And now you're melting down because you can't believe that they talked to you like that. You can't believe that they acted that way. They should have acted this way. You know, I'm going to tell you in length how bad this is when we have a hundred other experiences that are the exact same way.
1: Exactly. <laughs> and so that's exactly it.
0: Yeah. They, there has to be some personal, you know, autonomy and responsibility on man, you know, and that, I'm sure that's what you deal with right in coaching and, and what I deal with in therapy is going, okay, well, why is that? What was in you? What's in your body? What's in your heart? What do you, you know, that, that keeps making you answer the phone or respond to the text message or email or invite them over for dinner or, you know, to stay the weekend, you know, whatever, whatever mm-hmm. thing you, that you thought that was going to go well and wasn't going to go the same way that it goes every single time. Mm-hmm. What would you, yeah. Cause I mean, You know, I hear people's pushback already in my head. Well, it's like, well, I'm being hopeful. You know, I was hoping that it could be different. And it's like, well, yeah, you can hope that people can change, but you weren't really hoping they were going to change. You were hoping that you could do something to make them change. Is that right?
1: I would say that's true, too. And I would say hope is great, but we have to kind of be careful where we place it. (laughs) You know, we have to be also in reality. (laughs) We have to think that sometimes, like you said, if something has happened the same way a 100 times, the hope that it's going to be different is a little bit pie in the sky. Yeah, it really isn't realistic. And I think it really still is that little child who had to hope, Mm. who had to believe that if I can only do enough, if I can only sacrifice enough, I can make them love me, I can make them see that I'm worthwhile. And we still do that as adults. So until the inner child is healed, we are going to keep on doing that.
0: Yeah, that's a great connection point there. I mean, that's that's beautifully said. I think uh, healing that inner child, you know, is such an important process. And and we can't. The reason I asked about the somatic part is one of the things that I've noticed in the last year is just how much breathing and regulating and you know being in in people people being in their body um is just the opposite of how we live our life especially in america and so a lot of times we were doing a meeting this morning three or four of us meeting and staffing some cases and one of the therapists was saying yeah i had this guy and he's just super nervous and he moves around the whole session and he's jumping all over the place and anxious and He's like, and and this guy's a newer therapist. He's been with us for about six months. And he said, I felt so cheesy, but I just felt like we needed to do some breathing. And I felt like the therapist was like, let's do breathing, you know? And, and, uh, he said, but you know, we did it for like 10 minutes and the guy totally shifted, totally could think differently. And then the, you know, he's been doing it every day for just 10 minutes and, and Mm -hmm. it's made a huge difference And, and it's crazy. You know, we can have PhDs and letters all behind our names and sometimes all people need to do is, is breathe and sit there.
1: Yeah, the magic of a deep breath. Oh, it's incredible. It
0: really is, yeah. Which, again, I mean, to add the theology to it, it's like, you know, the the word in Hebrew for breath is ruach. And uh, mm-hmm. and so it's what God breathed into Adam and, and even and brought, you know, to life. And it's what sustains us. And so <sighs> we take that deep breath and we get it in our belly and, and you know, we feel much better and oxytocin's released and, and we can, we can have some clarity and we're out of fight or flight and we can, we can find the truth, Mm -hmm. you know, but so many of us, our families have kept us so dysregulated and so in fight or flight or freeze that we, in the moment we can never get to truth and about our value, about their value, about who's responsible for what, because we're just surviving. Mm -hmm,
1: Exactly. And the fact that if you're in fight or flight, there's nothing else like the rest and digest is deactivated when you're in fight or flight Mm, yeah so if you're in that state it's like your mind has been hijacked and you can't really think straight i read a quote by a writer i can't remember who it was but she said we need to relax so we can see things and it was so simple, but I thought, yeah, that's true. You can't really see anything if you're not relaxed. Mm-hmm. you're um you're turned toward yourself, but not in a healthy way. It's in a way of just I need to stay alive, I need to stay safe, and um, it's not a productive thing at all,
0: yeah, you were saying earlier, like when you get to a place where you're you're calm then you can, you can think about your addiction or your coping or your depression from a intellectual standpoint and, and ask why and hold it and look at it versus just looking at it and going, why am I doing this and being ashamed because you, it exists, if that makes sense.
1: Mm-hmm. It really does. Yeah, I had to get out of the environment that I was in in order to heal from that because there was just no way for me to find any space around it. Um, because I was using it to cope with all the stuff that I was dealing with and the double dysfunction that I was in, you know.
0: Mm -hmm. You mentioned blind spots a lot in your posts. Can you talk about kind of what do you think some of the things that the average person really has blind spots on in our culture?
1: Yeah, to me, blind spots are the things we do to ourselves and we don't know why. And so uncovering the blind spots for me is... Really just finding out the root of the problem, which, like I said, which we're talking about is so often in our childhood. So the blind spots are just the things we do. We don't know why and we just keep doing them and we can't get out of the cycle because we don't know any other way. And one of them might be procrastination. Mm -hmm. So often people don't realize that they could procrastinate because they're afraid of visibility. So, for instance, if you finish a project and it's going to get attention, Mm -hmm. if you get attention, you expose yourself to potential criticism and all these things could be happening subconsciously to stop you from reaching that goal. But what it manifests as is like shiny object syndrome. So you're getting near the end of the goal and all of a sudden, oh, wait, no, I need to do this instead. Forget about that. I need to do this. And you keep doing the same thing and you don't know why and you really can't stop yourself. And I'm speaking from experience here if I sound like I know a lot about it. Yeah. And finally realizing what it was connected to is what helped me. And so when I learned what it was all about, where it was coming from, then when I did it, I could kind of comfort myself through it. Like I could say, and self-compassion comes into this too. So instead of beating myself up about it, I would say, okay, look, you're doing that. You're, this is really hard. You know, you're at that point where you're getting close to the end of the goal and you want to give it up because Mm -hmm. it's scary that you might be seen, and just kind of I could talk myself through it because I knew what it was about.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. I I loved what you said about um, procrastinating because of the fear of visibility. That's such a good way of saying that. Um, because that is a lot of, and I'm with you. I got my hand up. Like it's, I'm, you know, better now, but still my go-to is there's too many things going on, and then I'll just create other things going on. You're right, and just go down that. And yeah, it's it's uh it's a struggle, you know, for dreamers, for big picture people to kinda of get things finished because people are gonna look at it and, and uh and judge it and criticize it and have an opinion about it. And you know, that was one even doing the podcast was I put it off and put it off because I just kept telling myself, Nobody wants to listen to this, like nobody wants to hear me talk about things or I don't want anybody to think you know, I'm trying to be a know-it-all or, you know, whatever nonsense was going in my brain. It's like, nobody thinks that, you know, it's like none of my friends, none of my peers, everybody's like, Hey, why don't you do a podcast? I'm like, uh, <laughs> no, nah, I don't think so. Um, you know, and then it's turned out to be awesome. So, and I love it, but there's still that constant tension of, um, you know, people are going to listen to this and what are they going to judge? And that's easier, you know, when I have people like you on who, who we get to talk about things we love. And I forget that I'm even doing the podcast.
1: Oh, that's awesome. And you can see how much it was needed by the amount of views or the amount of downloads that you get.
0: Yeah, for sure. And people, oh gosh, you know, people's responses and text messages and instant messages and, you know, come up, they'll come up to me at dinner and say, hey, you know, I've listened to this episode and I got into therapy because of this or, you know, whatever. And so you know, it's amazing to see what God will do with just having a conversation that people aren't used to having. And I think for for most people, it's a little insight into if you're not in therapy or you can't afford it right now or it's a season, then you it's free therapy. It's very therapeutic and it's a good conversation. And it, it lets people know they're not insane and that, you know, what they're doing and dealing with is normal. And we all are dealing with it. Clinicians, pastors, you know, leaders, people that they think, oh, no, not them. Yep. Us too. <laughs>
1: yeah absolutely and i really believe that if there's that desire in your heart that, that it's there for a reason and it's probably not just you who's going to benefit from following that through you know
0: oh yeah yeah god's too good to let it just kind of putter out you know mm-hmm. um if you could kind of say three things um that you would like to tell the world to know you know if if the world's listening to this and and because I know for me, part of doing the podcast is like, I just don't want people to know this stuff. Um, what What would your kind of top three things be if you could throw some out there?
1: Yeah, well, the first one that comes to mind is it's not your fault yeah. because that is my mantra. That's the name of the book and that is what I want people to know. And I think the second one would be tell the truth. Tell the truth um, and the rewards will be there and mostly in... Um, your own personal integrity mm. there might be some so-called punishments but those are usually very small in comparison to what you gain when you tell the truth yeah and the last one i think would be to accept people's limitations and we already talked about this during the podcast i think to stop expecting people who have been doing the same things your whole life to be any different and accept that limitation whatever that looks like for you,
0: mm-hmm. I would say my three right now are, um, which you put in my ear, like learn to listen more. You know, just as a person, just when someone's talking, listen. You know, don't wait to say something or respond, or you hear something you disagree with or you don't like or that you know is wrong that you have. You're automatically going to, to uh, you know, lecture about it or teach about it or whatever. Um, I, I would say two get up and stretch every day you know do something physical with your body i feel like that's another thing in our culture that is something that we have control over we can do you don't have to go do p90x or crossfit you know but you can get up you can move you can stretch and do something get that movement going and that's a whole trauma world too and a whole conversation we can have about movement and and how that goes and and then three um yeah practice vulnerability i think you know, two of those came from you. So it's, it's, uh, you know, find somebody who's safe, who you feel like you can trust and practice consistently being vulnerable and sharing what's going on in your heart and your mind and not waiting for people to have to beg you or pull it out of you or, you know, or be perfectly safe for you to ever try. Mm
1: -hmm. So absolutely. I love
0: those. Well, look, I don't want to take any more of your time. I know we're we're up at the hour mark, um, thank you so much for your time. This was a beautiful conversation and so much fun. Um, uh, any closing thoughts or questions or anything you're asking why about that you want to kind of leave us with?
1: Yeah, no, i really loved this, having this conversation with you too. And I'm grateful that you asked me on, um, and what am I asking why about I feel like I ask why about everything. So I honestly don't think I can answer that. But one thing that came to my mind when you said asking why is that all the important things in my life are covered in ambivalence. (laughs) So I think it's okay to not know the answer and that two things can be true at once. Um, so ambivalence is is really the thing that I'm accepting, that you don't have to have the answer, and that's okay.
0: That's good, because we're not going to have the answer. You know, we can have a general truth, um, but yeah, nailing it all the way down, especially when it comes to faith, that's what faith is, right? Is is hope in that that is unseen, not what is seen. Anybody can have hope mm-hmm. in what we have right in our hands, but... It's those of us who hope in the unseen. Um, I'm reading a book right now called, uh, oh man, Bright Hope for Tomorrow. It's from the Mm -hmm. song. And it's about, you know, just living your life in view of Christ's return. And uh, one of the things he talks about is um, hoping fully instead of being hopefully. And how, you know, a lot of us are like, well, hopefully Jesus is going to come back. Hopefully I'll get this job. Hopefully, you know, this cancer will go away. Hope, you know, but as Christians, we want to hope fully in Christ's return, hopefully that he can save us and redeem us. And, and that's just a different perspective. So I'm going to hope fully that you, uh, your practice is amazing and that it continues to get clients and, and you continue to just be lifted up and um, people are helped and healed by the amazing work that you do. And I hope that that um, in some way continues to bring healing and validation to all the reasons and purposes for your hardship in life and and things that you've grown out of and it's just an honor to meet you and uh I appreciate your time.
1: Thank you. Thank you Clint. I appreciate that.
0: Absolutely. To our listeners, thanks for listening and uh we can, you know, you can do hard things. You can do difficult things. Um so go out there and do them and rely on God and um healing is is available and it's now and and you're All you got to do is take a step forward. So thank you guys and God bless y'all and have a good week.